Hello, friends. Welcome to Episode 9 of Cool Story with David J. McNeil. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your continued support. This podcast is all about getting to know people from all walks of life. Growing up, my grandfather, Henry Gervais, had what most people these days would call a hobby farm. He and my grandmother, Claire, had a large garden that produced most of the produce we ate at their dinner table. Carrots, beans, beets, peppers, tomatoes, and whatever else they decided to grow that season. My grandfather also raised chickens and rabbits for meat. So, I always had an understanding of the hard work that went into farming, and more so, the sacrifice of the animals that provided the meat that was served at the dinner table. In short, I learned at a very young age that food was not to be wasted. Wasting food was disrespectful to all who had toiled to provide it, which for me, growing up, was a really valuable lesson. So, when we moved to Plants del Coco and met Tammy and Russ, a real working farm family, I knew we had to have a chat about what that life and industry entails. Not only did we talk about farm life, but we also chatted about their second life here in Costa Rica, where they have chosen to spend more and more of their winters. After my chat with Tammy and Russ, please stick around for another installment of a little something we like to call... Please don't try this at home. This week's story is presented by my friend and neighbor Tammy Lovell. I know, another Tammy. How many Tammies do you know, Dave? For the record, I check my Facebook friends list, and I know four Tammies. But you can never know too many Tammies. Anyhow, Tammy Lovell and her husband Kevin split their time between Dildo, Newfoundland and Playa del Coco, Costa Rica. Tammy's story involves a commuter flight she took back in Newfoundland that almost got her into some serious hot water. So, stick around for that. But now, it's time for my chat with Tammy and Russ Wanzura. Hey, Russ and Tammy, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Good. Yeah. You're hanging in there during the COVID. Yeah. Surviving. Staying out of trouble. So for our listeners, uh, you guys uh, have a a bit of a dual life like Belinda and I have. You you spend uh, the bulk of your your year living in um, Saskatoon, the uh, Paris of the Prairies. (laughs) Paris. Love Paris. (laughs) <laughs> and then you guys also have uh, a condo here in uh, Playa del Coco that you guys have owned for a long time. And then the second one you purchased more recently, which is uh, an income property as well, right? Yes. Yeah, you betcha. Um, so, uh, well, let's go back a bit. Um, when did the two of you guys meet? Well, we met in, Russ, we met in 2003. I want to see if you know. <laughs> we yes. met in 2003. And yeah, the spring of 2003. And then we got mm-hmm. married in 2006. Yep. Right. Fast. Rush. Rush. <laughs> rush. <laughs> Three years. Whoa. <laughs> and uh, so uh, when, uh, when you guys met, uh, uh, Tammy, what, what kind of work were you doing at the time? At the time, I had actually just quit with the airline. I was a flight attendant before that. So I was right. newly into finance. Mm-hmm. Um, I had taken a leave of absence with uh, uh, Air Canada Jazz, 
and was trying to figure out what I wanted to do because our, our base had closed in Saskatoon and I didn't want to live away from Saskatoon or Calgary, like that area. Right. And yeah, so I found a job in finance with, at the time it was called TransCanada Credit. Um, by the time I quit, it was Wells Fargo Financial. Right. And yeah, that was right when we first met. That's what I was doing. Russ and I had met at TransCanada. He had a friend that started working there and then Russ started frequenting the establishment for lunch dates with his buddy. And I took notice. Yeah. I didn't know I was getting stalked. (laughs) 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 Who knew? And what this year now you one of the reasons that I wanted to chat with you guys was you guys have an interesting life too. Uh, Russ, you're a farmer. You guys are a farm family. And I was saying, yes. you know, after living in Toronto for most of my life and in Ottawa before that, I don't know if I've ever had friends who were in the farming industry. So I thought it'd be really interesting to talk to you guys about that. And then, of course, your life here. Uh, you weren't yet uh, working full time in, in the farming industry uh, at that point, right? You were still in sales? I was doing both. Um, my yep. dad was still running the farm. So I moved back to Saskatoon in 2002. Didn't know what to do with myself. And so the, or 2001, sorry, I moved back. 2002 is when I started helping my dad out at the farm more and more. And then I had a job in the wintertime that I would go to, which was an electronics store called Visions Electronics. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that's what I was doing for the summers. I would be at the farm. And then when the wintertime came and there was nothing to do at the farm, a friend of mine was the manager there. So he would just hire me on because him and I worked eons ago at Future Shop which was another electronics store, like right out of uh, high school. So that's how I met that, that uh, gentleman. So yeah, when I moved back to Saskatoon, I was looking for something to do, was helping my dad at the farm and then found the job at Visions. And then that's where I met Tammy because her company was the provider, provider of financing for, right. our, for our company. So that's how our paths crossed. Right. And uh, so uh, uh, you're, you're getting into farming. You mentioned before that you, when you were younger, your, your dad was running the farm and you ended up yeah. having to work kind of regularly on it. And that wasn't yeah. so much fun. No, no, it wasn't. No, we, well, we grew, I was born there. We grew up there. And in 1984, our parents moved me, my, uh, myself, my sister, my brother to Saskatoon. And just for better education, better life, they thought. So then we started living in Saskatoon, but we would still, every summer, my sister, all three of us would go out to the farm uh, every summer, as soon as school was done, June 24th or June 28th, whatever it was, and we were there until end of August. And so we didn't have a regular summer life, I guess, like other kids have, going to the lake or going wherever they might be. Our fun mm-hmm. was picking rocks by hand in a field that dad had broken because it used to be pasture. And uh, it's funny, right. my sister and I were talking about it probably a month ago, the songs we had listened to on the, the radio, and we knew exactly what song it was and which field we were in at that time. Those things stick in your head. So, so yeah. then, yeah, so dad moved us to Saskatoon and then my brother, Mike, he went off to university and uh, stopped. He was just, he became a doctor. So he just was unavailable to be at the farm anymore. Right. And then my sister moved away to British Columbia. And then by the time I was out of school, I wanted nothing to do at the farm because it drove me nuts to be out there. I'm just, yeah. it's oh, hard, right. hard working with families. So I tried to do everything not to be there. 
And right. so that's when I found jobs in like Prince Albert and then was there for a couple of years and then went down to Swift Current for a couple of years. And just ironic that I ended up doing what I'm doing because I hated what I was doing. <laughs> but right. now, I, now I totally enjoy it. I wouldn't want to do yeah. anything else. So you, you would try to run away from run away with a circus. and <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. And I tried and, and you got failed, pulled back I guess. In. <laughs> yeah. But now it's <laughs> it's totally enjoyable. And so then when I got back into farming or I guess I should say helping my dad, slowly gave the reins over a little bit. And then one year I just decided I had to do it. So I went out and bought a older equipment for myself and just dad gave me more and more land to farm and, um, you know, crop share with him. So he gets some, I get some. And mm-hmm. yeah, eventually it turned into a situation where dad's health was getting worse and worse. And then I just took over full time and just started doing everything. So now it's me and Tammy that to do all the work around the farm when it comes to seeding and uh, harvest, which is probably our busiest time of the year because it's so dependent on Mother Nature. Everything else right. can go smoothly. Harvest is hell if the weather doesn't cooperate. So. Harvest is chaos. Yeah. yeah. Harvest is nuts. Let's get back to that. So, Tammy, you guys are a couple now. You're, you're moving along with your career. At some point, you go out on your own and you become a mortgage specialist and you're your own boss, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then at the same time, you're now part of Russ's, Russ's enterprise and you'd never been a, a, a part of the, a, you know, a farm family before this was all new to you as well, right? All new. Yeah. My grandparents farmed a little bit, but we were never involved. So we never saw it or understood it or absorbed it at all. So mm-hmm. when I met Russ, I mean, I didn't have a clue. I mean, I had a pretty good idea of what seeding meant, but I didn't even know what the machines were or, and I mean, things have changed so much over the years, even since I've met Russ, but yeah, I can imagine it was, um, it was intense. And of course, I was trying to find my way, right, and help and figure out what my spot was because his parents were still highly involved when we first started. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things were done really old school and just mostly because, you know, back then they didn't spend a lot of money on anything to upgrade anything. It didn't make sense to. If something was working, you didn't buy something new or better because it sure. costs money. Um, where our mentality, I mean, and I think it takes a certain mentality to be a farmer or an entrepreneur in general, right? Like a little bit Mm -hmm. more of a risk taker, the whole, you have to spend money to make money. And, um, so yeah, we started upgrading the machinery and Russ kind of wanted to build it in a way that it was what he called a one man operation. So he didn't have to highly depend on me. Mm Because at the time, like Russ has children, so I have stepchildren and they were little. They were five and seven when I met Russ. And so we had little kids running around and, um, you know, we were running to dance and different things and life was busy. My business was extreme all the time. It's always been very busy. So he really set it up so that he could do things on his own without a second set of hands a lot of times. Yeah. And then, yeah, I was in the yard and helping on when I first started, it was mostly, or when I first started helping, it was mostly with the kids, the house, the yard, which is a huge job in itself. And then it kind of led into, you know, he would bring semis to the yard and I would help unload those. So he'd stop the combine or stop the big machines in the field, run the semi home, get it started. I'd unload it. He'd get back out to the machine, but it would mean machines were sitting still for certain Mm -hmm. periods of time. And so it wasn't, ideal. And so once the kids were older and it was just Russ and I, and my work now, I can work from anywhere. So I wasn't glued to the city. I didn't have to stay in the city. I can work from the farm now too. So he taught me how to combine, which has been fun 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the easier jobs, although he always <laughs> told me it was hard. It's extremely hard. <laughs> it's not yeah. at all. It's a huge yeah. machine. It's but... a big. It's a big computer game nowadays. So, well, what what exactly? Maybe because you know most of our listeners aren't really going to understand the different sort yeah. of stages of of. So you guys farm wheat uniquely, right? Uh, what do I farm? Actually, what I have is barley and canola. Uh, barley did, and canola. Yeah, did did do wheat. Barley and wheat are exactly the same crop. Wheat is just a little bit longer in the field, so it takes a little bit longer to get it off. Okay. So literally, when he says he grows barley, like he's growing barley for beer, like he's yeah. actually trying to get it to be... Yeah, my, my whole goal is to get malt barley, which pays a little bit more than feed barley, because feed barley just goes to your feedlots. Uh, Mom right. barley requires a little bit more attention. Um, if it gets rained on, it's absolutely not destroyed. You just lose malt quality. As soon as barley gets rained on, it wants to grow again. And then right. it turns into feed. And so then you lose a dollar a bushel, which in, could be a lot a lot of dollars if you lose a dollar a bushel times X amount of bushels, right? Like it's uh, it can be a big number. Last year, just 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 to throw it out there, I think last year I think it was thirty thousand I lost to feed prices, like because it got rained on. So, yeah, um, it can add up pretty fast if Mother Nature gets a hold of you. Right. When it comes time to harvest, you got to be quick on the trigger. Pretty much, and that's that's everybody's downfall, I think, with farming. Is anybody like you go in and you seed the crop, you go in and spray the crop probably four or five times. Uh, just different applications, different chemicals, different herbicides, uh, mm-hmm. different fungicides, fertilizer. fertilizer. Fungicides helps it grow. Then you sit and wait, which is where we are about right now. I have maybe a little bit more spring to do in the next week. But after that, it's a sit and wait game until you can swath it. And swathing is when the crop is ripe, you knock it down into a row. And so you then, cut it. So yes. a machine yeah. goes Sorry. in and cuts yeah. it. And uh-huh. so once it's in a row, then with barley, for instance, you probably wait five days to a week max, and then you go in with your combine, which har- harvests it, and it just separates all the straw uh, from the barley seed and goes into the tank in your combine. Right. Yeah. So pretty specialized equipment. Very. Yeah. It's, its whole purpose in life is to work for two weeks out of the year, and it still gives you headaches for those two weeks. <laughs> right. Or for some guys, it would, they have to use it for a month out of the year, but it's Everything on the farm is big machinery that sits until so you, you need it. Right. And you got to make sure you got to, can you test that stuff out without? Uh, get- no, not a lot. No, there's guys that will send things away to the shops just to do uh, like a routine checkup on right. certain problem areas, let's call it, or like a tune up on your vehicle. Yeah. But the things that go are usually the things you'll never, you don't realize until it's happened and it's making a funny noise or. Or it started on fire. Yeah, we've had fires. Uh, oh, really? We lost a combine yet, but we've had. We dad, lost. Yeah, no, dad. We lost sorry. a combine. Yeah, yeah. dad lost lost a combine that was many moons ago yeah. to a fire, and that uh, that's when Tommy first got into farming. So that was interesting. That was that was fun. It was exciting. Like yeah. it wasn't. It was <laughs> chaos. Like we literally. Uh, we, we had two combines running, so they ran old Russian combines yeah. back then. Now he runs mm-hmm. Case, which yeah. is like a big brand name, but he ran mm-hmm. old Russian combines and we were in the same field. And at that time I would just like, I was just the girlfriend, right? So I hung out in the combine sitting on a toolbox, hanging out with my right. boyfriend yeah. and, um, I'd never driven a combine. It was pitch black outside. And we were at the end of a field and all of a sudden Russ grabbed his cell phone and he started yelling into his phone 
to his cousin, um, I've got fire, I need water. And as he's yelling that into his phone, he's driving the combine in a different direction and he's getting out of his seat while the combine's still moving. It's a huge, huge machine. Mm-hmm. And he's telling me to drive it away as he's going down the ladder while the combine's moving to run across the field because he's noticed that his dad's combine is on fire. And at right. the time, <clears throat> his dad was a little hard of smell and hearing and things like that. He was still, he was still working. And Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't sure if he saw the fire. So of course I'm driving the combine away. I've never driven one. I don't know how to stop it. <laughs> it's hydrostatic, which means if you go a little forward, it goes forward. If you go a little back, it goes back. And if you sit in the middle, it stops sort of. And mm-hmm. so I didn't know what, like, was I going to hit a, like a slew was, I didn't know what was going on. So I was trying to stop it and I was going back and forth, like, like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Cause I couldn't get right. it in the middle cause I was so nervous. And yeah, it ended up just being an absolute gong show. Um, We had neighbors that showed up and helped us put it out. And his dad got out safely and it was all good, but it was a total loss. And the next day I was like the best fire extinguisher customer in the world because I went and and rigged up every machine we had on the farm because we didn't have fire extinguishers on anything. Yeah. 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 You never think about those things because it's never happened, but... And I jumped in the grain truck. Yeah. Yeah. Like I yelled at my mother-in-law, what am I supposed to do? And she's like, I don't know. So I jumped into the grain truck thinking I'll drive across the field and I'll go get help. And I throw it into first because it's a standard and I go backwards because it's an old grain truck and every, and it's dark. So I can't actually look at the knob to see like which way anyway. So every time I tried to go forward, I kept going into reverse and lost my flip-flops in the field because I was running around the field in flip-flops. And yeah, it was. <laughs> is that standard footwear for uh, farming? <laughs> well, it's standard footwear <laughs> for me. What time it is. I've I think there's four pairs. I yeah, there's, well, they haven't popped up yet, which is ironic, but I'm just waiting oh, yeah, for them yeah. to pop up because Tammy's, yeah, one time she was bringing, right beside the house or right where the yard is, we were combining there and Tammy was bringing out lunches. And she didn't know the field, so she's not supposed to know where the wet spots are. And I didn't realize it was wet as it was, but she comes up with my dad's two-wheel drive truck, will get stuck, and then she gets out, and then she steps into a big puddle of mud, essentially, and loses flip-flops, and then she can't drive home because the truck's stuck, so then she had to walk home. Barefoot (laughs) in the stubble. It's almost like uphill in the snow. Yeah, Yeah. it was a pretty good learning curve. Yeah. <laughs> we'll call it that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there may have been tears. <laughs> yeah. And the uh the barley for, for the barley, do you Yeah. Do you know uh is there a brewery that buys it or you just put it out there and whoever buys it buys it or do you make uh, barley for a specific to, type of beer? Uh our stuff goes to a company called Prairie Malt, which will then turn around and make it into hops essentially i guess and mm-hmm. they'll what they do is they add water to it and then then they make it um germ germinate right and and then then they'll dry it down again and then once it's dried down they have certain customers that buy certain types of barley um so they know who their customers are they know what type of barley they're buying and generally we all grow something that they're buying uh is the mm-hmm. way it goes so it doesn't get sold to a specific brewery like uh, right. Molson's or Coors or Labatt's, but could end up there. We just don't know. Um, I know there's farmers that are down south, so southern Saskatchewan, and they grow only for bud. And it actually gets sent directly to them, which is rare. Usually you don't get to deal direct with right. uh, the, the company. There always has to be a middleman or two to take the cut. So. Mm-hmm. 
it's kind of the way it goes. And then the other crop, so you grow barley and the other one was? Canola. Canola. So, and the canola I grow is, you've seen canola, Dave, or no? Any idea? Uh, yeah, do they, they, they um, farm canola. Do they farm canola in, in Ontario as well? Does that sound right? There's a good chance there will be, yeah. If you see a big yellow field, good chance that's canola. And it's just purely a little black seed. And the stuff that I grow is meant, it's a higher oil content, canola. Right. So my stuff will go to, it goes to northern Saskatchewan, they process it, turn into an oil. And then from there, it'll end, it'll end up with like Burger King or Wendy's or anybody with a deep fryer could be right. buying my, my oil. Um, there's another type of canola seed called, well, it's made by Cargill, which is a huge company. And their specialty canola 100% goes to McDonald's. Like everything mm-hmm. that guys grow in area for Cargill goes to a McDonald's restaurant somewhere. So right. um, that pays a little bit more. So it's worth the headache. And uh, I've been doing it now for years. Some guys will just grow canola that's generic, which is purely for meal or for feed or Right, like they can crush that, but there's way less oil in it, so it's a lot more cost uh, cost more to get oil out of it to extract it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then a lot of it gets shipped out by boat and goes overseas as well. So there's right. kind of countries that'll buy raw canola and just do whatever they want with it, crush it, and then sell it back to us in bottles. That's usually what happens. Okay, yeah. I guess a lot of the big fast food chains they always. Yeah. Stick with the same canola producers because, you know, for the, they always want the fries to taste the same everywhere yeah. and their burgers. So they'll have contracts the with everywhere. certain buyers like McDonald's is, um, and Cargill are together. And then the company I grow for is called uh, Nexera. So they'll sell to just about everybody else because Cargill sells a lot of seed. They produce a lot of canola and McDonald's takes it all pretty much. So yeah, it's it's unreal. How well, much, how, I learned how much something new now too because yeah. I had no idea what any of that. And then yeah. when, like, if you grow other crops, like I have grown wheat in the past that I try and sell it direct to the flour mills so they can mm-hmm. turn it into bread. And then I've done peas in the past until there was a few bad years. So I stopped doing them. And those actually get, now there's a company in Saskatoon that makes it purely for bird food. And they sell it to England of all the places. So just, they make it, they process it, and they ship it off in these bags. And it's Preferred, I guess the kind of bird food they want in England, that's what they told me. Right. So, right. Yeah, there's, um, there's a market for everything, I guess. Yeah. I remember years ago uh, uh, having family come to visit and they were from, from Holland and, you know, something was brought up about eating corn or whatever. And they said, well, we mm. don't even eat corn. That's just, that's just, you know, food, animal food. Yeah, exactly. You know, North <laughs> Americans were so used to eating corn, but, uh, yeah. you know, a lot of the world just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't enjoy it. And you see, like our area, we're um, considered too cold. We're a short growing season. So uh, corn is not an option for us. Whereas like southern Manitoba, southern Saskatchewan, a lot of the states, though only like states is a huge producer of corn and a huge producer of soybeans. So they just flip back and forth. That's all they do. And they do some wheat in Kansas. But yeah, they use corn a lot for feed, a lot for pigs, a lot for cattle. Uh, now there's ethanol that they can make out of corn. So like gas mm. additive. So yeah, 
Yeah, but in our area, corn, we just, we're such a short season. It's summer's over, like it's July already, summer's over. Well, we were literally (laughs) talking about that before our call, like, oh my goodness. So we've got, you know, this week we're doing this and then this weekend we're doing that. And then we're probably going to be swathing and then harvest is probably going to start August 15th. And like, didn't we just start seeding? Like, it's just, it feels like, for me anyway, it feels like chaos from... April 15th to May 1st to like when we get on the airplane to go to Costa Rica. Yeah. As soon as that, that's all plan is get on the plane so we're done because last year was nuts. Um, it was a bad season. We had no rain. Things were looking terrible. Uh, June, finally things came out of the ground and things were seeded uh, like a month before that. Usually it takes a week to come out of the ground. And it took a whole month mm-hmm. just because we had no rain, bad weather. And actually, when we went down to Costa Rica in the middle of July, I'm like, we're probably coming back to no crop. Like, there's nothing growing. It sure has to change. And then we came back and there was actually a crop and it was fairly good. <laughs> but, right. but then it was such a slow season. And the problem is, is, since our season is so tight to begin with, that if you have a delay in the springtime, uh, yeah. You fight to get it off. And so there's a lot of yeah. guys in my area that had to combine this spring, which is not good. You lose quality. You lose a lot of money. And yeah, I think I was drying. It was such a bad year. I bought a dryer, which like it just takes the tough grain and dries it down for me so I can sell it because companies won't buy right. it unless it's really dry. With that, was that like an oven almost? Or? Essentially. Yeah. That's yeah. a good way to put it. It's a big big oven and uh, it just dries the grain depending on what you're drying determines your temperature so you don't cook uh ruin the germination on it like barley mm-hmm. is a tough one and so i would just dry nonstop, and it came in so helpful and then i had neighbors banging down the door at the turn business away i'm like i just i need to go on holidays oh what people wanted you to dry theirs dry their grain i dried yeah. a lot yeah. of grain for people it yeah. actually was it was funny because he was hemming and hawing should i buy it shouldn't i and it was like there was only one or two left like available in saskatchewan Canada, like western you get that at the canadian tire yeah flip-flopping but he's like you know you put so much time into the seeding and you put so much time into the growing season and the the money that you put down on the crop like just the input costs and then harvest comes along and you just leave it up to mother nature and so at least Mm -hmm. with the dryer we now going forward in last year kind of write our own destiny as far as Mm -hmm. making sure that we can get off as much as we can before the snow flies um and so it was a saving grace, but my goodness, it added so much time to yeah. harvest in my world anyway, because rest was gone. Like, I think I tied up and cleaned up the house at the end of October and, mm-hmm. and I heard even earlier and I was back in the city and literally I had Russ's bag packed and he cruised in the night before we went to Costa Rica and yeah. off we went. Off we went. So. <laughs> Don't want to do that this year. No. <laughs> just, just so I'm clear and our, our yeah. audience is clear. Yeah. Uh, you know, on a good season, yep. a good, yeah, good season. Um, yep. when should your work start and when does it end? Uh, Tammy's better with dates. Well, I feel like we normally start just like May 15th is when we're usually seeding in that right. time frame, a little bit before, a little bit after, depending yep. on the rain. And then we, most of the years I've been around, we're actually done right around that Thanksgiving. And of course, Thanksgiving moves, right? So Um, but you know, if we're done before Thanksgiving, I mean, that's awesome. And then it gives, cause Russ has a lot of 
field work that he has to do after there's things you have to go do in the field to clean it up for the next season, or you have to do it in the spring. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of, you know, the pressure's off and we have had a lot of great harvests where we're just done. We're done. We're cleaned up and we're literally sitting back in our city house going, I wonder if we can bump up our flights to leave a week early, right? Because we're done. We're good. Like two years Mm -hmm. ago, that's what it was. But then there's years where like last year when we were combining, we were like, you have to take it off at a certain moisture level. And we were taking it off like two, three times higher than it was supposed to come off. The machines were working way too hard. Snow was forecasted to start at 10 PM and we're still trying to get our crop off. Right. And Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then it gets super crappy. The snow's flying sideways. It's icy. It's cold. It's wet. And Russ is drying green. And he's outside in the elements. And it's just gross. So, I mean, there's... (laughs) (laughs) I love the July growing season. (laughs) Yeah. Right now is the prettiest time. Right. And then swathing is enjoyable. It's, you know, the fields look nice. When when, when you're swathing, like cutting the crop down into rows... Yeah, that's when the fields really develop and look good. And yeah. then harvest can be super fun. Like, I mean, yeah. it's the chaos time for sure. And there's a lot of pressure that comes off, comes mm. with taking it off and getting it off. But I mean, there's been lots of years where we've had neighbors come over and help just because they're caught up and they've got extra mm-hmm. time and extra machines. So they'll come for a right. day or two and we'll have four or five machines rolling down our field or we'll go over to Russ's cousin's place and help him and his girlfriend or vice versa. And they've mm. got, Brad will hate this, they've got CB radios, yeah, um, two-way radios. I call them CB yeah. radios. He's yeah. like, they're not CBs, they're two-ways. But they've got two-way radios in their combines. And so we're all, you know, chipping at each other and like making fun and having fun and, you know, beers at the end of the night. And it can yeah. be a lot of fun, especially if the weather cooperates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, sure. If you can get each help each other get your crops harvested, harvested faster, you can get to the party faster. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah, there's some years that it just goes relatively smoothly. Yeah. And there's some years where every last year, last year was bad. Last year was like every third, fourth day would rain just enough to just screw, screw, things, screw up. things up for another three yeah. or four days. You start the combine again, you get out there, you do another quarter or you do another 10 hours and it rains again. And and I was just sick of that because we just sat, you know, I didn't have a good means of drying. Like I had an yeah. old type of dryer, but it was very labor intensive. They like to start on fire as well. So I just didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So I guaranteed we wasted three or four days last year just sitting, waiting for that extra day, just so the moisture would come down a little bit more. And yeah. this year we shouldn't have that problem because we're taking, trying to take mother nature out of the equation by... We know it's tough, the green stuff, like meaning a point or two high percentage of moisture, and we're just taking mm-hmm. it off and it goes in the dryer. And by the time in a couple of days it'll be dry, the dryer gets caught up and then we just go back to normal. Like mm-hmm. it just goes into the normal bins. So just trying to do everything possible to take the stress out of it because harvest is can be super fun and can be super crappy. And yeah, lately, right. last couple of years three or four years, like my cousin and I have been helping each other quite a bit. So if he finishes early, he'll come help me, vice versa. And that's where the fun is to be had, where you can help each other out. And, you know, seeing three combines, four combines, a grain cart, semis, flying through the fields, pizza and beers at the end. Like, that's that's the fun in it. That's what you kind of wait for the whole year is the fun right. of harvest. <laughs> if it goes well. 
All of the uh, the uh, the uh, math classes and science classes you took that your teachers told you were so important. Uh, <laughs> they probably Actually, they probably are more important for you than I'm some of that than, than they are for me. Fractions, like of all the things I use, I use fractions quite a bit, and mm-hmm. it's super funny. My kid knows nothing. Like he knows the numbers, and he's twenty five. <laughs> he knows nothing about fractions. But it is yeah. crazy. Like it does take a certain brain to be able to do. Like it's not my brain; it's Russ's. <laughs> do his job because even just running the like a lot of the machines now run off of um auto steer or gps like the swather or the cedar you know it kind of does its own thing like you have to be mechanically inclined you have to understand computers you have to understand math and science and all that stuff and yeah 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 no it sounds like as well you know every time you know, when I've chatted with you guys, you've often been telling me about, you know, how much more sophisticated the machinery is getting and, mm-hmm. and, you know, you know, how you can, it's more automated than it used to be. And that requires a lot of growth on your part. Yes. Yeah, it does. Because a lot of learning, a lot of learning. Cause well, when I started, or I guess not when my dad started, but when I started helping dad again, it was just manual labor. That's all it was. And it was just work harder and the harder you work, the sooner you get to the end of the line. And now things will blow my dad's mind. Like it's still crazy from what he would have been seeding and farmed with horses and plows yep. and no power and no telephone. And they walked everywhere. Yeah. Like the thought of actually farming and not having everybody have cell phones for safety yeah. or know where you are, or what field are you in or like. I ask my mother-in-law all the time, well, how did you know where to go when <laughs> I at a certain that. time, right? <laughs> yeah. You always listen for the hum of the machine. And it's the funny thing is, is when you grow up in the field, I know that field, if it's pitch black, I know exactly where I'm going. I know where that slew is, even though it's dark. And it doesn't matter how many times. And Sammy's been in the field. She's been on, in it when the <laughs> light is on. But as soon as the lights go off for a lot of people, and if you haven't grown up on that land or you haven't been on that land forever, you yeah. have no idea which way is north or which way is west or which way is south. And it's not good yeah. because yeah. Like, no, I no. literally will drive into the field, drop a lunch off, and I can see him. So it's easy to drive to him, right? Yeah. Because the lights are all on. Now I have to turn around and leave that same field that I just came into five minutes ago. And I know he's sitting in the combine watching me because he can see my headlights going in circles. Yeah. Like, oh, no, just about hit a slew. Oh, yeah. no, that's not the drive. And you have to find this little entrance in the yeah. field to get out of it. Nothing, nothing's yeah. labeled. There's no big sign <laughs> saying, come this way to leave the field. You just, you just know where the exits are. And I didn't realize that. But when Tommy first started coming around, like, I knew where the exits were. My brother did. My sister did. My mom knew. My dad knew. Everybody knew. Yeah. And you just that. knew dad told you which exit or entrance to go to. And... If you want to find them, you either drove around or you shut off the shut off your truck and you listen for the noise, and then you right. just start driving towards the noise. That, well, that's how you and they name it. all the fields. They name all the fields by the neighbors they bought them from yeah. thirty years ago. <laughs> so you know, right. it's like the gas site and Tempolskis and Golgans and all these names, and I don't mm. know who those people are or where they lived. Mm. Yeah. Go to where they just get, get on the cell phone. Warm. You're getting warm. You're getting cold. You're getting warm. You're getting yeah. cold. You're getting warm. Warm. Yeah. Warm. Cold. Yeah, just go where the yard site used to be twenty years ago, and then just to the south of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so what do you, what, uh, when you're not, what, so when you're not working, do you have to spend a lot of time uh, reading uh, Modern Farmer magazine to figure out no, how to keep up with the technology? I'm, I'm not that <laughs> farmer. Some guys are. 
I just, I'm not that person. I don't know why. I just never, that part never caught on to me. I have a cousin that, and then probably a few cousins that are more into it as far as always learning or always reading and always seeing what other guys are doing or what's new, what's coming up. Yeah. Uh, so you just me, copy I'm them. Very, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look over their shoulder and, okay, what are we doing this year? No, <laughs> I'm just more of, a, I know what works. I know what, I've just always tried to make things simpler. Now, time you said, you know, a one man show is just what can we do to be efficient? And um, I think, you know, when I first started was buying a new cedar because that was our, the, our planter, I guess is another word, mm-hmm. uh, putting everything in the ground. The way we did it to me was backwards. That's how we did it in the 50s. And we're not in the 50s anymore. So I bought that. And then uh, funniest thing was like upgrading bins, like all the our grain bins that hold grain. We used to have these old square little houses, if you want to call them that. And mm-hmm. we'd have these old augers and these trucks that backed into them. And my brother and me and my sister, were, when we were young, young, we used to be up in that bin, barley dust coming out of everywhere. So you're choking on everything. The air is not good. And you're up in the bin because your dad's filling the bin and you have to shovel it to the corners to maximize every square inch of that bin. Mm-hmm. Now there's probably some self safety concerns if we did that now to kids, but right. <laughs> then that's what you did. <laughs> so then when we started upgrading bins, you know, we started getting hopper bins, steel bins, where you just open a chute and it comes out by itself, not right. shoving it to corners. So it's it's funny the things we did as kids, and we don't even never question it. Just okay, we're going in the yeah. bin and we climb up this ladder, you know, twelve feet up in the air, and we didn't fall off, so we we're good. And then we crawl right. into this bin with shovels and start shoveling grain to corners. Yeah, but it's funny. Like so we have stupid. a friend, friends that are twenty <laughs> years older than us that farmed, and so they'll yeah. roll into our yard, or or we'll be talking about it, and she'll say, "Yeah, you know, you've hit forty, forty-five years old when everything goes up on hoppers because yeah. that's the metal cone, right? That yeah. so that you mm-hmm. don't have to be shoveling anymore." Yeah, right. And it's true because I mean, you just you actually do honestly get to an age where you just can't maintain that anymore like sure. it's impossible so and you don't have the yeah. free child labor anymore. yeah yeah there's no <laughs> child labor anymore so <laughs> so, so you would you would you would you guys say that you're good at dealing with the stress of farming because it seems like you know it's it, it can seem like it's all or nothing some years and then when something yeah. does break these these are big ticket items right you yes. got to have yeah money put aside or or credit available or whatever exactly. to be able to pay these things off. That's a, it's a big stressor. Are you guys good at dealing with the stress of all that? So far? Yeah, I think we are. I mean, both of us, both, honestly, both of us run our own independent businesses, like financially very independently. Russ makes his yeah. own decisions on the farm and I do the same with my business. Yeah. Um, as it's more, I guess you always anticipate and Russ always anticipates a big fix every year, Mm -hmm. like in the back of his mind. Um, and so if it doesn't come, you know, maybe like this year as an example, we are, we're upgrading our barn. So we have one of those old hip roof barns that you see, um, like one of those old barns you see in pictures. Yeah. Just a wood barn. Yeah. Yeah. Just a wood, like the old barns they built back in the forties and fifties. Yeah. Red, red barn. Anyway. So, I mean, it's in pretty good shape for its age, but so this year, you know, there hasn't been any major crazy expenses. I mean, we haven't had harvest yet, so he's retinning that whole thing. So it's going to look new and freshen that up and it'll last another hundred years. Right. So if the money's not going into that, it's usually going into some kind of maintenance into the yard up 
upgrading power. You know, we had to do a huge upgrade of power when he bought the dryer. Yeah, the dryer. I wasn't allowed yeah. to use the clothing dryer or the or oven, the oven all we, harvest because yeah. if I used it, it would blow the breaker in the yeah, yard. Blow the breaker. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I got really good at making um, stovetop things and microwave things last harvest. Right. Yeah. I blew the breaker once in the yard because I had the dryer running and then I turned on an aeration fan on one of the bins to cool it down and. Right. Of course, I was right at the peaked out. So when I turned it on, the whole yard went done. It was over. And so then I called SAS Power and they're like, yeah, it must have just been an old breaker. I'm like, yeah, it probably was just an old breaker. Nothing to do with me <laughs> running by too much power, but sure, we'll call it an old breaker. <laughs> Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, financially, the stress, I mean, I always say we're not, I mean, everybody hears we go to Costa Rica all the time and we've got a couple condos down there and it, I mean, perspective is everything, right? But we actually, we're not big spenders. Like we don't spend a lot of money on clothes and we don't spend a lot of money on things. And I guess in the back of our minds, we're always, you know, especially with farming or being self-employed, it only takes one bad year for things to really change, right? So I think we're we're a little bit um, cautious in other areas of our life so that we can be prepared for that stuff, plus play hard because we work super hard when we're home. So Right, right. Just so I can get an idea of perspective, what is a what is a good quality combine cost? <laughs> Do you really want to know? Yeah, very curious. Like if you went and bought a brand new one, yeah, is that what, is that what you're asking? You're probably yeah. five hundred to seven hundred thousand dollars. Right now, perspective yeah. wise, we did yeah. not spend that much no. because we buy everything used. Yeah, everything <laughs> I have is older. Right. Um, Russ has done really awesome. So that's one really cool thing is like, we've never run new machinery. He's always found really, really awesome deals, mostly in the States and mostly back when the dollar was closer to par or somewhere in there, um, where we would bring it back. And, you know, if he was to sell it tomorrow, he would make money on it. And even some cases he's run machinery for months or years and then was able to sell it for the same or close to the same as what he bought it for. So it really didn't cost us anything. Um, from a depreciation standpoint. So that's been really awesome because that's helped, you know, like you don't, as a farmer, you don't have a pension and you don't have those things, but you're just building your net worth by, you know, with your equipment and your land and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Right. So, right. So guessing too, you also have to have a a really good mechanic on your speed dial that you treat nicely so that they always come to see you first in emergencies. Yeah. There's always that person that never, you need a guy for everything, I guess. You need a a person that's good at welding, which we have in our area. Um, we do have a general mechanic gentleman that is really good with equipment. New stuff is a little bit harder because a lot of the new stuff is uh, computer issues, yep. whereas you need the dealer to come out. But um, sure, have, just like cars, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. So, and we have a couple of good dealers in the area that if they can get out there, they will. They'll do everything possible. And when the busy season comes around, so once uh, swar- like harvest starts, um, the dealers are open 24 hours a day, pretty much. Um, they they're open six days a week at the dealership, maybe seven. There's always a number if you need parts, emergency, that they'll send something to the shop, find it. Uh, you drive the hour there and back to get it, and you work on it that night or the next morning. And service calls, same idea. There's always somebody on on call when that season rolls around. So because they that's when they make their money too. Right. Like right now, we all sit and wait uh, for the rush. And then once the rush comes, that's when the dealers make their money. They're crazy, but they, they truly make their money this, in this next month or two. Right. So what is it you're doing precisely right now? 
talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spring. Smart spring app. is uh, spring is nuts. Spring is back when my dad was farming. You'd spray the field once, and mm. now we're up to five times probably spraying a field. Yeah. Um, because everybody now is uh, considered no, no-till, like we don't work the land up anymore. We yeah. don't make it nice and black how they did where it blew away in the dirty 30s or the 40s and right. 50s. There was always those storms, the dust storms. Right. Now you try not to touch the field. You just leave the root system as is because that's actually a little canal way for all the water and everything to move around underneath the soil. Sure. Yeah. So you don't want to touch it. All you're doing is direct seeding, which is a knife that goes into the ground and seeds. So yeah. you have to use chemical to control things now. You don't till it the sure. land. So, you know, you seed before, or sorry, you spray before you seed. Then you spray after you seed with a herbicide for weeds. So for weeds. For and then mm-hmm. this year I did uh, top dressing. So like liquid fertilizer, which is food essentially for the crop. Uh, now that we're getting more rain, uh, we have to worry about disease. So I'll be doing a fungicide application mm-hmm. this Friday, Saturday. Some guys, uh, I don't desiccate. I swath all my crops. So some guys desiccate, which means they kill the crop with a chemical. So they can go right. in straight combine, meaning they don't swath it. Uh, a lot of guys do that with wheat. Uh, some canola you can do that now with. Malt barley, you cannot spray because you lose your germination. So right. all, all, malt bar- all malt barley has to be swathed. Feed yeah. barley, you just go and kill it and you straight combine it. There's way less stress with feed barley because it just ends up at the cattle lots. So, right, yeah. So you you uh, you you wrap up your uh, the pharmacies and after you do your harvest and then you you clean up your uh, your fields a bit and you I guess that's sort of like uh, at the end of the fall, not leaving all your uh, leaves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> leaves out Same to get idea. snowed on and turn into mush and and rot yes. and whatnot. You got to clean that's- things up so it's ready for the spring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's always the fall work to do every year. So Yeah. So once you're done that, you're you're done for a while. Then Tammy doesn't have a break. She's always busy no. with the mortgage yeah. uh, mortgage business. Yeah. Um and I at uh, least get the break. Tammy's still goes twelve months a year and I go six and six, eight and four maybe, depending on the year. But yeah, it doesn't Tammy's business is always busy. <laughs> Whereas yeah. I at least get a break. So Especially right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mortgage well, job. and I mean, my my season, my busy seasons are the same as Russ's busy seasons, but I still yeah. have to, I not have to <laughs> enjoy being the farm wife. I actually do. <laughs> There's a little bit, you yeah. know, you asked about the stress, the financial. Yep. You know, you go through hills and valleys, I think, with being this lifestyle, just because mm-hmm. sometimes it just feels like it, you know, there's never a break, right? Um, yeah. And, but I mean, overall we're trying to figure it out. I think it's the same as everybody just trying to find that perspective of the slowdown and how much do we need? And, you know, now that I can work from the farm, it used to be when, like we lived out there for five or six years and Mm. four or five years, and it was faster for me to get up, get ready, load the car up, drive to the city, which is an hour away, work for the day do the run around in the city, groceries, dry cleaning, and back out to the farm because we had dial-up at the farm and I couldn't function. So it was faster for right. me to drive to the city, work for the day with high-speed internet than it was for me to work mm. from the farm. And now, I mean, 
I can wake up and work in my pajamas for 12 hours if yeah. I have to and, and run out to the field and help us move machines around and yeah. cut grass in the evenings. And so, I mean, it's the last two years has been a total game yeah. changer. Because it was never an option for timing to work out there because the yeah. internet was brutal. Like we're yeah. two megs, I think is what we were. And then we're finally up to 10. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, works, yeah. it works, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, it wasn't it's even an option. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. We couldn't have this but conversation it, on a two meg line. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it sounds like though you, your, your work, the, the combination of your jobs is a, is a, like the, the fact that, uh, Tammy's a mortgage specialist. That's like a, a, a great other family career for the family to have. Like it, it sounds like they balance themselves nicely. Yeah. I mean, it does for sure. And Russ does help. I mean, even on my side of things, um, he does a lot of the admin, like prepping my, my, uh, bookkeeping and things like that for my accountant. Um, because he's got some downtime during those times where that stuff has to be done. Right. Um, it's not all manicures and pedicures for Russ. Once <laughs> yeah, all there are, there all is some downtime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and of course he's my IT guy. You know, I'm always, something's always not working or blinking or not firing up. And so he's always yeah. jumping to make sure something's working for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I mean, it's for my business. It's just a learning curve all the time, right? With technology changing, people's expectations changing, uh, lending guidelines changing by the moment, which um, seems to happen more often than it should. Uh, yeah. It's just super overwhelming, and so just trying to learn and and add extra support staff and and technology and systems to try to simplify things. So that's kind of where I am right now. I mean, I do I do the business that I've always done. You know, I don't want it anymore. I don't want any less. I just want it to stay mm-hmm. consistent. And then now I want to really build some tools into my business so that you know, I can work smarter and not harder, um, sure. but still provide the same level of service and those types of things. So that's the goal for the next 12 to 18 months. But when you're so busy, you don't have time to <laughs> implement or read or, you know, act. So I'm hoping for a little bit of a breath here in the next little while. Right. Well, and the good news, uh, and this leads me into my next question. The good news is that these days in uh, Costa Rica, specifically here in Plastel Coco, there's become more, um, competition for uh internet services um there's a lot of that so uh you know when you do decide that you want to do a more a longer stays here the infrastructure will be better for you to do that yeah and it's already there like previously it was a hard no i couldn't work mm-hmm. from there like i literally yeah. paid other mortgage brokers to work my book of business while i was gone um i couldn't check in there was just no way to check in Um, so now the last two years, last three years, um, they put fiber optics down and we, Mm -hmm. I don't need like with your business, you need a much stronger signal than I do. I don't need that because I'm just like, I'm not downloading and uploading. I'm just running off the internet, like nothing serious. Yeah. And you know, I've set it up. I've got a voice over internet system. So I have, I have a full-time assistant. She works from her home. So when we moved, from our downtown office two and a half years ago, I had said to her, okay, you've got a couple options. I can set the office up at my house. Uh, we can lease something else downtown or you can work from home. And she wanted to work from home. So we became paperless mm-hmm. and remote. And so we work yep. off voiceover internet office phone. So she has an office mm-hmm. phone sitting on her desk. I have one sitting at my desk. My desk may be the city house. My desk may be the farmhouse or my desk might be my Costa Rica home. Um, but I guess the perspective, I, I often don't tell clients when, 
I'm moving around because previous to COVID, the perspective or or perception people had was that I wasn't working hard if I wasn't sitting at my desk downtown Saskatoon, right? And I think that that's the furthest thing from the truth because the reality is, you know, I'll wake up at quarter after six in the morning, grab a cup of coffee, forget to brush my teeth and come up for air at 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. you know, without a bite of food because, you know, I'm home and I'm just working and I don't have any distractions. And so that's not necessarily ideal, but that sure. seems to be how my days go. And when I'm on vacation, I try to, so when I'm down in Costa Rica and I'm working, I'm still up super early. Um, I've made some decisions to try to build a bit of a healthier lifestyle when I'm there because we do kind of, we don't pay a lot of attention to that when we're home in Saskatoon, which is unfortunate, but we're so busy that a lot of times our own health kind of goes by the wayside. So that's, we hired, we hired Paul, the personal trainer that we all know and Mm -hmm. love. And we made it a priority to go and do our personal training Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays from eight till nine, eight till nine. Right. Sure. And (laughs) back to the condo, quick shower, quick bite to eat. And then I worked and, you know, you just prioritize a little bit differently and, you know, I, I make sure I have cell service down there. I get a, a cross street and cell number. So I have data. So my assistant can get a hold of me. I can keep an eye on my emails. I can run upstairs if I do take a little bit of time off and, mm. and deal with pertinent information or stuff I have to deal with. So it's, I definitely have to keep like training myself almost how to do it. Mm. But um, from a client perspective, I mean, I didn't tell anybody I was gone this year, this past year. And I did it purposely because I wanted to see if there was a blip. You know, if, if it affected my business, if it affected my service level and it didn't at all. So um, now I just have to fine tune that a bit more so that I can take a little bit more time from a lifestyle perspective. Yeah. Uh, going back to the, your, your early days in Costa Rica. Now, the average person from my experience down here is not you, you, you know, you and Russ and Belinda and I, the average person buys a retire a, a home down here at exactly the age of 65 you know yeah i know <laughs> right <laughs> you know they retire and they just they they have a they completely switch over to to uh, yes. either part yeah. of the year down here or their new life here you guys yeah. did something very different you guys bought a place down here when you guys were young how old were you yeah Shoot, where were we? that was 20. i was 29 i think i was 32 yeah we bought yeah. a piece of dirt that was 2007 yeah yeah right. and, and, and then plan. Yeah, uh, we bought off a plan from our <laughs> yeah. little smiley Russian friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, no, it was not planned at all. We were supposed to go to Thailand and yeah. there was some political unrest in Thailand that wasn't going to allow us to travel everywhere we wanted. So we kind of right. looked at the map and hit Costa Rica, hadn't done a ton of research on the area. Um, outside of booking a hotel and <laughs> why are you I'm just remembering why we went on holidays because 2007 we had still been living at the farm mom and dad wouldn't still been heavily involved so meaning mom and dad would have still been heavily involved driving timey nuts so I yeah. think that's why we booked holidays was to get the hell out of Dodge on a side note, <laughs> yeah, not, I, I yeah, truly yeah. love my mother yes we love you mother but you drove us nuts. So what do you do? <laughs> yeah, well, for sure. I mean, any yeah. family business has got to be difficult to to we're work always, with we family were because on you, top of one another. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. when and then when it's the holidays come around, you're you're yeah. you're dealing with the people you do business with, and yeah, yes. for sure, that's got to be yeah. A so tough yeah, thing it's funny how, how that all worked. You know, maybe we would have never went because if we was not moved to the farm, the wind brought us to this craziness yeah. to go on a holiday to Thailand because I never traveled. 
Yeah. And we end up in Costa Rica just because it seemed like the place to go or not even back then. No, it's just, it wasn't. We, Tammy it was picked it and off we went. Super random. And so I got as far as booking the hotel, which was actually in Tamarindo. So, you mm-hmm. know, like 40, 45 minutes away from Coco. Yeah. And we were a couple few days away from going and somehow I caught wind that there was a major sewage crisis in Tamarindo right. and couldn't use the beach, yada, yada. So I got a hold of the... Airbnb or whatever it was that I booked and asked mm. if we could cancel. And they said, yeah. And we found a place in Okotal, like just a couple minutes from yeah. Coco. And so that's kind of where our hubs was for, I don't know, probably 10 days. We were in Costa Rica for 17 days in total. Mm. And yeah, we got to know the area and mm-hmm. fell in love. It was uh, it's as safe as being in Paris. Paris <laughs> <laughs> of the prairies. Like it was, it's, the Paris of was, Europe. The Paris, the Paris of Europe. Yeah, it was. Uh, you feel uh, you feel very comfortable. Um, yep. There's certain areas you don't wander around in Saskatoon. There's certain areas you don't wander around in Coco. Anywhere, uh, yeah. but um, very safe. Like compared to other places that we've traveled. Yeah, it just. So when felt you came down right. here, you didn't. You did. You were just on vacation. You didn't come down exactly. here thinking that you were going to buy something. What, Zero what interest in that? buying a place. Uh, we kept going to the liquor store that was right across from uh, Coca Marindo. <laughs> yeah. And a little Russian guy. So every day we'd stop, drive home, grab a six pack. They had a gorgeous pool there. So we'd go sit and relax. And the last mm. day we were there, a little Russian guy goes, You want to see a place? He was just hanging a sign and it was a rendering of the our condo, Agua de Lechuga. Yeah. So we're like, sure, what the heck? We didn't know it was dirt, actually. And then yeah. this other Russian gentleman shows up, Vladi, smiling Canadian Russian guy, super nice guy. Mm-hmm. He takes us to a piece of dirt. We're like, mm-hmm. huh, okay. <laughs> so in perspective, we didn't look at Weird. any other properties. Zero. We didn't yeah. hire a realtor to show us around the area. We did no research on the area or anything. Like, And we were, so us being so young, there was also some severe, like, stupidity there too because yeah. i mean we could have we've talked to lots of people that have put money down on big money like 80 90 yeah. 100 grand on properties in costa rica that never got built right so yeah. anyway we came home and we were all excited and we 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 could have afforded it on our own but just like it would have left us really tight and that made us a bit nervous so we talked to a handful of close family and friends that we felt comfortable buying with. And there mm-hmm. was a couple that said, yeah, we'll buy with you. So we partnered up with them and it took a couple of years for the building to be built. Mm-hmm. And um, so then, yeah, we used it for a couple of years, you know, flip-flopping with time with their family and our family. And mm-hmm. then things just transpired where it was time for us to make a decision on who was going to buy each other out. Mm-hmm. Our families had grown, our kids were getting older. They had more kids. Um, time was getting more limited. And so we ended up buying them out and yeah, and we've been going down. We've tried when we first had it, we were trying to go down maybe like November, December, like a couple weeks then. And then we'd go mm-hmm. again, February, March. Yeah. And then we realized we'd be going to the same place all the time. So, I mean, we've been everywhere. We've been yeah. to China, we've been to Thailand, mm-hmm. we've been everywhere. It's, and most of, most of the places we've been, we've been multiple times. So we've tried to spread it out between mm-hmm. Costa Rica and other places, but we're kind of now, and I, yeah. I still want to do a lot of traveling to other places, but we're kind of in a position now where with my work, um, it's just easy to go down there, right? I mean, I can work. I don't have to yeah, worry yeah, about sure. anybody to take care of my business and we can just live a different lifestyle down there. So we're going to try to start spending yeah. anywhere between two and four months a year mm-hmm. down there. 
I think Costa Rica is going to turn more into mm-hmm. a lifestyle, not a holiday. We just talked about this like a month ago. Yeah. Yeah, we, that's yeah. something that we've been, we've all been kind of sharing articles about the shift in the way people look at work. And it's got a lot to do with COVID-19, which is, I think, you know, as awful as it is and it's been, there's going to be some silver linings. And one of them is there's going to be, I believe there's going to be a shift in, in people seeing that you can work from, from right. abroad more easily and that, that the stigma will, will fall away from that. I'm hoping anyways, because it'd be nice to, I, I think, I, I just think it's, there'll be, There'll be different shoppers for, you know, looking for properties in these places, I think, because of that, because they can, they can work from here. Yeah, agreed. And I think, like we talked about the perspective and, you know, money and what people think when you say you own two condos in Costa Rica. I mean, the the last one we just bought was last summer. Um, But, you know, I'm on Facebook the other day and I showed Russ and it's like, you know, somebody's selling a $80,000 fifth wheel. And I was like... Or a condo in Costa Rica, yeah, right? Like, same, I mean, same difference. Uh, right. I've got clients, I've got friends, I have family that, you know, have the big rig trucks and the fifth wheels and all that jazz and everything that goes along with it. And these are all things that depreciate. And I mean, there's nothing saying for sure. I always yeah. say to us, you know, we're one earth, we're not going to sink all of our investments or our, we're not going to become big real estate tycoons in Costa Rica because I mean, you're one earthquake away from, you never know, right? It's a completely different world. Hmm. But in saying mm-hmm. that, I mean, it's still real estate. You would think at some point it's going to hold its value or go up at some point. Um, when we bought the first condo, mm-hmm. you know, dollar was on par. So, you know, it's not now. And so we've made a little bit there. Uh, we've been successful yeah. in just renting to friends and family, word of mouth. There hasn't been a lot of advertising. It's just, it kind of takes care of, we don't make, we don't make money to speak of on either of the condos. They just basically cover their costs. Um, Mm -hmm. and we found even with the second condo, just to have the ability to invite, you know, Russ's mom down, my parents down, the kids down and have an extra place Mm -hmm. where they can stay close to us, um, that they're comfortable with. So yeah, it's, I don't know. It's interesting. We've owned it for so long. It just feels like part of us now. Like it's literally been since 2007 that we've been talking about Costa Rica. So, and it's nice. It's nice to go down there. It's Mm -hmm. like a second, it truly is a second home. Like we keep running into this one waiter that we met the first year we were there and we just ran into him again this year working at one of the places and, you know, remembers us and we remember him and just, you know, it's, it's yeah. nice. It's, it's kind of like rolling up to, you know, somebody, lots of people have cabins or cottages and, you know, you, you roll yeah, into yeah. your driveway exactly. at the cottage and you open the front door and it's just home. It literally feels like that to us yeah. when we roll through our gates. Yeah. Um, Right. And then you go over to the general store and it's yeah, the same people that were there exactly. last summer and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, and it's true too. And we, like, I, I've got my, you know, especially at first when we got down to here, I've got, you know, a, whatever, a note uh, app, a note taking app on my phone. And, and I was telling Belinda, let's like, whenever we learned a waiter's name or a bartender's name or somebody who worked at the corner store or whatever, we were putting them down on our phones. We got to get these That's names That's a great down, idea. Right. Because if we're going to be here regularly and stuff, we don't want to be asking the same right. people yeah. over and over. you know we kind of want to we kind of want to get to know people and feel like we're part of the community and and that pays off after a while now we're you know we're still here and we're driving around the neighborhood and people yell out at us and wave at us and whatnot right so i don't know i think again it's all perspective russ and i talked the other day and it was like we were talking about okay well this year we'll do two and a half months next year we won't because we have people going over christmas like 
tenant. So we'll go somewhere else. And the following year, maybe we'll do four yeah. months. And he's like, Oh, that's crazy. And I was like, but how crazy is it? Like we've been building this or planning it in the back of our mind since 2007, really. Right. Or we wouldn't have bought the place. Yeah. And then secondly, I yeah. mean, we're talking about being there through, we got home this year on the night it was minus 60. And then we continued to stare at each other for two or three weeks while it was minus 40 and minus 45 going, why, why did we come why home? Are we here? <laughs> because if we were in Costa Rica, yeah, we would yeah. be on our bikes. We'd be walking. We'd be working out with Paul. We'd be hanging out in the ocean. Like, it's not like we're doing crazy yeah. stuff. We're just living a way more healthy lifestyle than Netflixing, watching Netflix on the couch, right? So. Yeah, yeah. And you're going out and partying and having a good time from time to time. But then again, like every day you're out, you're physically exactly. active. Like oh, you said, yeah. Yeah. you know, you can, you can counter what bit of extra going out yeah. for drinks and stuff yeah. with friends, and you know, I mean, you know, somewhat, we're still in bed know. at 10 o'clock at night. I would say 80% of the time in Costa Rica, you know, you have big days, you have, you know, you're in the sun and you know, we're still in bed early and that. I don't, and still, you know, yeah. winding down, watching a little bit of TV, hanging out with friends, whatever it is. Um, and then you have those wild and crazy nights, you know, maybe three, four times in your four month holiday. And that's about it. Like, right. it's no different than being at home from that perspective. So, yeah, but just way yeah. healthier. Like, I just feel yeah, was, better when I'm down there. Yeah. Yeah. There was only one year, uh, one night this winter where, uh, uh, um, where Russ uh, got the VIP <laughs> table and we stayed at Zinni's until, until almost 1 a.m. Yeah. We were rebels to the crazy 1 a.m. We didn't close the place, but we were there. We were there well past, past midnight. midnight. We put in a good shift, I guess. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, we have to make different New Year's plans this year. It's oh, yeah. Like, well, who knows what's going to go on with COVID now, right? But True. I mean, yeah. Jeepers, our pirate ship experience and everything else. I think we'll just stick to Main hey, Street. Hey, it was an experience. <laughs> Not many people have been on a pirate ship. It was an experience for sure. There's a bunch of things that we yeah. could have done that night, but that was definitely <laughs> an experience. Yeah, yeah like for sure. It was a plus. Uh, it was super nice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, it's surprising. Like in, in this town, you know, this town is, uh, from what I understand, it fluctuates between 4,000 to 5,000 people, depending on what, you know, what whether it's high season okay. or whatnot. And for a town that size, you know, we'll see after COVID, but up until, you know, a few months ago, I think there was over 80 restaurants yeah. and bars in this town, yeah. which yeah. is a lot. I mean, that's, that's a lot of places you can go out yes. to eat and, and go out to have a good time and whatnot. So there, for a, for a small town in, in Costa Rica, there is a that's lot true. to offer. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, you know, which is, was really surprising to me once we, once we got here, because we just haven't tried uh, we we haven't tried a, a you know an eighth yeah. of the places no, here right. in town so far, yeah and I've know. always said and I don't know if I hope for it or not hope for it I haven't decided but I mean I feel like Coco could be or maybe you know the next Playa del Carmen like if you've been to Mexico you know the cobblestone streets and the yeah. main street super busy and mm -hmm. everybody knows it because I mean it just it has that vibe right it has a different vibe than any of the other beach towns have and it's got a ton of mm -hmm. accommodations and. Yeah. And it's safe. And the, the beach, like, I mean, when we first started coming, it was a rough little town, you know, like the boardwalk wasn't there. There was old buildings on the beach. Nobody hung out on Cocoa. We didn't hang out on Cocoa yeah, Beach. Yeah, we never like, used Cocoa Beach. We would rent a car <laughs> yeah. and go anywhere but there. Yeah. And I mean, it has been cleaned up. It's beautiful. The boardwalk, the restaurants right on the water. Like, it's just yeah. awesome. Yeah. So. Much, much different now. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, there, like you said, there used to be a lot of businesses right down on the on yes. the uh, on the waterfront yeah. that they cleared out to have that available yeah. as a beach area. Yeah. 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 So yeah. yeah, no, it's been interesting. We've got a we do have a new love for our own beach. That's for sure. Like the last three four years, I think my parents came down maybe four or five years ago. And we, you know what we did? We went and we bought some fried chicken from Pollo Crispy and um, loaded mm. up some beer in a bag. And it was my mom and dad and my sister and nephew, Russ and I, and our friend Barb. And we just went and hung out yeah. on the one bay and played with the little local yeah. kids, played in the water, ate fried chicken, drank beer. And we literally fell in love with our beach that day and the yeah. water, because everybody thinks the water's black, but the sand is black, the water's clear. And depending on how the, yeah, yeah, sand. Wondering, depending on yeah. how the sun shines through, like we're in the water and we're like, oh my God, it's completely clear. Like we can see right to our toes. <laughs> like it was just, it was an amazing day. Yeah. And yeah, so we really enjoy our beach now. Yeah, well, you know, that's the one thing I think that people really love about a place like Costa Rica, a place like Place del Coco, is uh, compared to being back in Ontario or Saskatchewan, there aren't a lot of yeah, rules, right. you know. I mean, there, there are yeah. rules, but you can go to the beach with a big bag of beer and your yes. food and stuff, and no one's going to come around no. and give you a hard time or give you a ticket for drinking alcohol in a public place. Or, you know, I'm sure if you're going to be an idiot and hang out down there, someone might call the authorities yeah. and they'll come down and talk to you. but. That's not really a thing that happens a lot. I think that's one of the yeah. things that people love to come down here because yeah. there aren't a, a thousand yeah. rules, you know, like back home. Uh, so the, it is a bit more free to have a good time with your friends and entertain and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Bumping heads with authorities. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then even with the beach, like I yeah. was just thinking, even the like the pedal bikes, our bikes are game changers, you know, like we used to trudge and, and walk so far to get to the end of the beach. And now, you know, you can bike halfway there and, yeah. and load your bike up yeah. with your beer bag. And yeah, no, it's... It's so yeah. good. I can't wait to get back. Yeah. I'm very jealous. I was just thinking probably after all the <laughs> yeah. chatter about how great Coco is, you're just like, <laughs> okay, I'm all right. But you know what's funny? And <laughs> we, we talked, get- Russ and I have talked about this. Uh, my friend Mel and I, who Mel has a place in Costa Rica, talk about this. Every time we go down, yep. we talk about how we're going to do it so much better and different next time. Because you know what? We have such a short period. We feel like we have such a short period of time there. Like whether we're there for two weeks, whether we're there for a month, whether we're there for two months, it's never long enough. It goes way too fast. And mm. all of a sudden it's gone and you're like, I didn't ride my bike enough and I didn't walk on the <laughs> beach at sunset enough. And, and it's not, I yeah. didn't party enough. I didn't drink enough. I didn't, it's literally, I didn't mm. walk. I didn't bike. I didn't do like, so this trip, like our last trip was pretty intense because we helped a friend with a renovation. Yeah, it was and, a busy trip last trip. And it was just crazy. Yeah. But this trip, literally the only things we have to do, Russ has to buy a new bike because yeah. his was stolen. I loaned mine to somebody. I don't know yeah. who he yeah. is, but he, he yeah. I loaned it to him. Yeah. <laughs> hasn't come and back yet. That's three days. That's maybe yeah. three days max, you know, in Costa Rica time. Getting the bike I need and... to source an air fryer, which I'm going to put yeah. you and our other friends, Nadine, in charge of hopefully before we get there. And Yes. Well, they just sell those everywhere. Yeah. So that's pretty easy too. And now there's the price smart, which I is know. like, God, exactly. it's open air. So literally yeah. those are our two yeah. to do's for the two and a half months we plan to be there. If we're so lucky as to get onto an airplane, November 14th. And yeah. uh, that's it. We are just going to literally wake up. And if we get there on a Saturday, Monday morning, we're seeing Paul and we're getting to her. Like yeah. living do, life. I got to do more because mm-hmm. like with Tammy, since this is like a lifestyle change, let's put it that way. My lifestyle is the same in Costa Rica as it is here. I kind of hang out, do my own thing, watch a little bit of TV, 
don't mm-hmm. do a heck of a lot. Like there's not much to do. And so in Costa Rica, I actually do a lot more and like playing tennis. I haven't done that in decades. We did that last year, two years ago, going, working out with Paul. Mm-hmm. I haven't been to a gym in 19, since 1993. So, you know, th- things are looking up. Right. And I'm finally working out mm-hmm. and we go for walks and then we go for bike rides. Like we don't do those things here. And we do there. At- yeah. And you feel good and the weather's nice. Well, and a lot of the people that you see, the people who are retired or have been retired for a while, a lot of them, you know, the the ones who don't sit at the bar yes. all day long, a lot of the people who are down here, they look younger than they are because they've, they, 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 they get out, they get, you know, they get the sun, they're out, they're exercising, they go for watch, walks on the beach, they, you know, people and they eat well and, and there's no pollution right. here really, you know what I mean? It's the air is so yeah. clean and everything. But you do see the people who live down here and have been here for a while, they look healthier than they were when, when they yeah, got sure. here. At least. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Likely, that makes sense. And I know. mean, we've talked about that. Like, I think we were talking one day and I said to us, I mean, you talk about it and it sounds like maybe old people stuff. You know, we're going to go for walks and we're going to play tennis <laughs> and we're going to ride bikes. No, it's healthy, normal people yeah, stuff. Yeah, we're going to call it healthy things. That's not old people. Yeah. Things. <laughs> Well, it's, it's not working all the time, people stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Well, like, you know, we've been, you know, on social media and kind of people sharing photos and sharing our adventures and stuff. And, and, um, and we see that, uh, you know, we didn't mean it to be this way, but we see a lot of people back home that seem to be inspired and wanted it. We've already have one friend, our friend Joe, that that bought in your, in your complex, uh, that bought down here. I've got another friend, uh, uh he and his wife are, are talking about seeing if they can get their, their career, um, online and, uh, and getting down here and buying a place. And, you know, we just have a lot of people that seem to be interested in making that move now that they see other people their age doing it. Well, so we that's always tell cool people too. when they come down, be careful. Cause you come down, <laughs> you're going to end up buying something. Cause yeah. I mean, same thing. Our friend Barb, right. We all know Barb. She came down, rented our place and yeah, yeah so exactly. And, rented our place and then she ended up buying and then laura and bill like yeah. just recently they rented our place they rented our place they bought. and yeah so it's just funny it's it is addicting for sure costa rica or, or maybe our town just has a there's something you get and i don't know what i don't know what it is but you know you come there you enjoy it you totally you totally enjoy it like, you absorb it you there's yeah. something mm-hmm. about the country and maybe something about Coco that uh, just seems to draw people in a little bit that they're doing things they normally don't do, like buying a property that next trip. It's yeah. Um, yeah. obviously there's something special about it. Well, I, I, I think what it is, is that, is that Coco is very, it's still rustic feeling and authentic. Like you feel like this is like mm-hmm. Costa Rica. Right. You don't feel like you're in mm-hmm. Playa del right. Carmen, but then again, you also have a lot of the, enough of the creature comforts that you feel like it's not, it's not a chore, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. You, you know? can find your air fryer. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's harder to find stuff or whatever, but you can find it or, or whatever. If you, if you're, you got family in town and it's somebody's, uh, you know, wedding anniversary, there's a lot of nice places you could take them for dinner, yes, yeah. you know, that, are, you know, that are fitting for that important of exactly. a, a get together, whatever that you, it's a bit of the, you know, you get the taste of both uh, worlds in, in one little town. And that's how it is so far. So I hope it doesn't go too Playa del Carmen. Right. Um, you know, we had a, a hard rock cafe here that uh, 
that uh, has it gone has? out of business. Okay. It's closed now because, yeah, because I think people are looking for authentic. They're not looking for Hard Rock yeah. Cafe or Planet Hollywood or, you know, McDonald's and yes. Burger King and Wendy's. You can go to the big city in Costa Rica to get that. But I don't think people who live here no. want that here. That they're yeah. escaping no, that. No, and I think there's a big difference between yeah. the feel of even Tamarindo being so commercialized in us. Um, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So. No, I don't think I'd ever wish yeah. for it because, I mean, the whole, you know, little dirt town, little dirt road town is why we bought in Coco. Um, but, yeah. you know, I can I guess I can see it happening in our lifetime just because it's becoming so popular. So I can see, yeah. you know, that it could happen one day. So we'll see. OK, so we agree. We all love Coco and it's a great place for all of our friends to move to. And uh, I think partially selfishly, we do promote it so much or Blynn and I promote it so much because self- selfishly, we want some of our favorite people back home to yeah. buy exactly. properties here and come spend time of the year here as well, which would, which yeah. would be cool. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it is a, a really great place to uh, uh, to live or share your year, part of your year here. All right, guys. Well, look, it was great talking to you. Uh, we look forward to seeing you guys when you come down. We're going to have a lot of fun uh, when you guys get back into town as we did uh, this last year, our first year uh, hanging out with you guys. So that'll be awesome. Uh, best of luck for you guys for the rest of your, uh, your, uh, your year in, uh, in Saskatoon with the farm and, and with your uh, business as well, Tammy. And uh, yeah, we look forward to yes, seeing you in November. Back at you. All right. Thanks for the chat. It was great talking to you guys. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, Tammy and Russ Wanzura. If you're listening from anywhere in Canada and have any mortgage questions relating to a purchase, renewal, or refinancing, give Tammy a call at 306-933-3386 or simply apply online at EliteMortgageChoice.com. Also, thinking of making Costa Rica or some other tropical paradise home? If you have equity in your home in Canada, Tammy can help align things so that you can make your dreams come true. A mortgage broker since 2005, she has refined and simplified the mortgage process for her clients from pre-approval to possession date. Now it's time for this week's installment of... Don't try this at home. I'm Tammy Lovell, and this is my story. About 10 years ago, I was flying from St. John's, Newfoundland to Deer Lake, Newfoundland on a business trip. A work colleague of mine, Cecily, who also happens to be one of my best friends, partner in crime and my favorite shenanigans buddy, was also traveling on the same flight. Normally, Cecily and I prefer to sit together when we travel, but given the fact that this particular aircraft was a tiny beach craft, it was not possible. A beach craft, of course, seats about 12 passengers in single row seating each side of the aisle. As the flight landed in Deer Lake and we gathered our onboard items, I waited patiently behind my friend Cecily to disembark the aircraft. It was an early morning flight and I was feeling a little mischievous to say the least. Given this mood and my need for a laugh, 
I carefully reached forward and gave her a huge goose from behind, right between the legs. Just for the fun of it. Cecily, in turn, jumped and gave a very piercing, unfamiliar scream and turned around with her hand in midair. No. To my complete surprise and horror, it was not Cecily. You're disgusting. The same blonde hair, yes. A light-colored coat, which I was sure Cecily was wearing. Or maybe now that I think about it, I'm not really so sure. I, in turn, gave a loud scream in response to my mishap. Which then so sadly gave way to immediate, uncontrollable laughter. I mean, tears falling down my face, bent over belly pain laughter. Oh my gosh, this poor woman in front of me was truly mortified to the point where she became more angry and of course the more angry she became the more intense my laughter increased i was a complete and utter mess at this point of course the other passengers including the captain were looking back to see what all the commotion was and there standing about two three people ahead of me was cecily shaking her head and laughing as if to say, Tammy, what have you done now? I'm Tammy Lovell, and that was my story. Thanks for that, Tammy. Ladies, if you're here in Coco and wondering where you can get some light, breezy fashions, check out Tammy's Facebook page, Love What You See. C being spelled S-E-A, you know, because we live right next to the Pacific Ocean. Love What You See is a boutique clothing line offering designs in ladies' easy-to-wear, versatile, and affordable pieces. All clothing is designed by Tammy and made locally in Costa Rica and soon in Newfoundland as well. Thanks again also to another Newfoundlander, Mr. Jerry Stamp, who wrote and performed the Cool Story theme song and all other jingles and stings that appear on the show. Do yourselves a favor and look for Jerry's music wherever you stream. And finally, thank you for listening. Until next time, Pura Vida. Everybody's got a story What's yours?